Hello, and welcome to the SensorLab Creative AI Podcast, Season 2, Episode 1. Uh, my name is John McCormick, I'm the Director of SensorLab, and joining me at a safe social distance, normally in the studio, but today over the internet, physicist, yep. PhD researcher, and AI artist, Nina Redchich. Hey, Nina. Hello. How are you? In my living room. You're in I'm your living good. room? And you're good. That's good. Stay yeah. healthy. And we're also joined today from the UK by a special guest, curator, researcher specializing in artificial intelligence and the creative industries, Luba Elliott. Hey, Luba, how are you? Hello. Hi. Good to hear from you. Thank you. And thanks so much for making the time to talk to us today and being on the podcast. It's fantastic. I wanted to start just with a simple question. So, Luba, you're very well known in the creative AI world. Tell us a little bit about you and how you became interested in this area. Yes, yeah, so I became interested in this area, I think, um, around the time when many of the recent artists and curators started getting into the field, which is around the time of Deep Dream. So back, I think, in the summer of uh, 2015, I had actually spent some time in Berlin and I was looking at um, art and technology and how startups and museums were incorporating all these new technologies into the art world. And then I kind of saw what was happening with uh, Deep Dream and how that was capturing the imagination of the mainstream. I thought it was a very interesting yeah, use case of a, of a technology. And I, I just wanted to learn more, learn more about it and uh, see where all these advances could be going in terms of art and beyond. So were you just working as a curator before that in the just kind of traditional art area? No. So actually, I studied uh, languages at Cambridge here in the UK. Oh. I did uh, German and Spanish. And when I was at university, I always thought I'd end up with a traditional job and maybe banking or consulting or if all else failed startup. And mm. of course, in my case, that meant that yeah, I ended up kind of going over to Germany and spending some time there working on startups. One of which was actually related to art. So it was a database of art collectors. Mm. And that was just super, super interesting. So the startup was called Larry's List and we were building this database of art collectors and what they had in their collections. So I spent a lot of time you know, researching how, how all that worked and I became really curious as to you know, the way the contemporary art market operated. Mm. And yeah, gradually I... I realized that this is kind of the field I wanted to be active in. And um, I started organizing kind of various hackathons where you'd get people trying to come up with solutions for the art market in a weekend or so. And yeah, and then after some time, I realized that I was also interested in the art production side. But yeah, regarding the curating, this is something that I think, yeah, became, re became quite new to me or mm. something I had before I got into this field. Yeah, cool. That's an interesting pathway. What do you think it is about this current movement in AI and art that makes it different from you know, other art forms or other art and technology projects that have come before it? Yeah, I, I became particularly interested in it because, as I mentioned, I was uh, kind of my attention was captured by Deep Dream. I thought it was a very interesting kind of use case of a technology being kind of creative and really coming up with with a new aesthetic that was kind of more a result of the technology as opposed to being 
intended or dictated by the human. And yeah, I realized that I wanted to follow the uh, computer science and the AI community and kind of look at the developments that uh, come from that field. And I think really what makes it different from a lot of the other movements in art and technology and in contemporary art is maybe that sometimes it feels to me that this field is split into little pockets that don't talk to each other so much. I don't know the field of contemporary painting, all these other fields, and maybe that's the case for you know, every movement. But certainly in AI art, as I started learning more and more about it, it felt like there were all these different communities that really don't talk to each other. Mm. So for example, there's uh, here in the UK, we have the Computer Arts uh, Society. And of course, there you might meet some pioneers of the, I guess, the art and technology movement like Ernest Edmonds, and they keep kind of operating in their small small circle. Then you might have uh, the academic computational creativity movement with like Simon Colton. And on the other hand, you have all these kind of artists who are just kind of learning how to use these tools and they're maybe operating in, uh, in the festival context and in the new media art space. And then you have all these uh, computer scientist researchers or those who come from the gaming community. Sometimes it feels to me there are so many different groups kind of under this creative AI banner all of whom have quite different concerns. So ranging from, I guess, on the, on the one spectrum, looking at the philosophical questions of computational creativity mm. to other side, like how can we do cool things with, uh, with, with creative AI? How can it be applied in new and exciting ways? Mm. That's very true. I agree with you that there are those communities, but I mean, I think they all have very different agendas and it's not unusual in any field like creativity and art for there to be the people at the practitioner end who are just who are artists and creatives who just want to be creative and make art there's people who want to approach it from a scientific perspective and then there's people who have sort of some mixture of those things who are kind of interested both in the philosophy and the science but also perhaps are interested in making artworks as, as well. Why is it that they don't actually get together? Is it because they're really fundamentally interested in something different? Certainly through some of the events that I've put on, like the Neurips Creativity Workshop, we've always kind of tried to encourage to get some members of these groups to come together. But of course, in, uh, in I think in any kind of artistic community, there are always sometimes barriers to participation, right? So with some conferences and, and events that we organize, they might be kind of abroad or they might have an entry fee and some artists just don't have kind of the resources to come to these events unless they are kind of invited and all the costs are covered. And that's not always possible. Yeah, I guess in general, there has been a bit more mixing of all these communities as there has been more and more interest in uh, in the AI art field. So I think uh, as the field matures further and yeah, maybe kind of has its own, has more definitions that are standardized and accepted by different communities, then people might be able to, yeah, to figure out where exactly they position themselves in the spectrum and be more aware of the work that has gone on in uh, different parts of the field. Mm. Yeah, certainly kind of looking at some of the new artists that are coming into the field, not everybody has uh, studied kind of the earlier history of art and technology and computer arts. Sometimes when I kind of observe on Twitter, people release new projects and then somebody else tweets saying, oh, I did this like a few years back. And mm. uh, it's always quite a... 
Quite a fun dynamic. Mm. Do you, do, uh, this is just a kind of sp- sporadic question, but do you feel like there's a difference between just like for the way you kind of see AI art between kind of generative art processes that kind of, I don't not necessarily see the the model or like the machine as the artist, but kind of like it's, it's like a generative thing as opposed to using AI like collaboratively. Like, do you feel like there's like a distinction there for you? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, the way I guess I look at some of the different pockets of, of AI art is probably more looking at the interest areas of, uh, of the artists. So you have those from the technical community who want to make work that is technically advanced and uh, maybe kind of aesthetically beautiful. Then you might have those from the media art community who are making work that is around kind of questions related to aesthetics or some of the issues that the society is, is experiencing uh, regarding technology or so on. And then yeah. you might have a group of fine artists who are yeah, trying to experiment with, uh, with their own data and looking at how this um, technique kind of helps them to advance their own practice. Mm. Yeah, I mean, for me, most of these projects involve AI as being kind of some sort of uh, collaborator. And it's really kind of up to the artist how mm. they decide position the final artwork because really I think positioning your artwork and kind of creating a narrative around it has always been extremely important in terms of any art that is being created. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if I can ask a more broader question. You know, we've seen over the last couple of years, there was the big sale of the work by Obvious um, that seems to be a bit of a blip in the in the art landscape, but really put AI art on the map. And since then, we've seen a lot of things like GAN art and you know Nina will probably confirm this that we we tend to on, on our podcast we we tend to to bag a, a GAN art quite a bit because it does have this kind of genericism about it I'm just wondering what you think about the way that people are using so much software that's written by other people and a lot of the technical advances are actually done by people who aren't the artists promoting the software do you think that's problematic or do you think that's just a kind of democratization of using the software yeah that's a very good point and um, I have to say I'm not the biggest fan of uh, everybody's obsession with the guns either oh you're in the right place then. hey all right whoa good result <laughs> great yeah no it feels to me that yeah I mean the a great technology that can generate some kind of very beautiful images but now I think we have reached the point where in the technical community, groups like NVIDIA have uh, come up with um, kind of very realistic images that can be generated by GANs and also by the, including lots of GPUs. And um, I think for artists, that is sometimes uh, a bit challenging, partly because these GPUs they're expensive and uh, artists can't always also work with uh, with the technology as well as the research scientists who, who develop them. Yeah, sometimes it feels like some of the latest extreme GAN advances are also not as interesting to artists who might have been interested in GANs earlier when uh, some of the first ones were coming out that had uh, a lot of different problems, as they would yeah. be called community. So uh, some of the first iterations of GANs, as, as you probably know, they would create creatures that had multiple legs or draw faces where the eyes and the 
and the noses were in the wrong places. So that, that of course, was, was of interest to artists who might have seen this technology as being kind of creative and interpreting the human or the animal figure in a new way. But now that it's kind of gotten so perfect, there needs to be some sort of other message or more of a focus on narrative or mm. kind of figuring out how to use these tools in a new way. Yeah, I don't really see it... Uh, as a problem that a lot of the technologies for artists are being developed by the technical community. I mean, it's important that artists also do uh, have a voice in, uh, in this development of the AI art technology. And I think Google has lots of different grant programs for the artists who want to kind of engage with these tools. And I think uh, given the increasing importance of ethics, the work of uh, artists has, uh, has also become more important as, yeah, kind of like I think Kate Crawford and uh, Mimi Onoha and other kind of artists like that, they've been showcasing some of the, the limitations of and, and problematic applications of AI technology. Yeah, those artists that you mentioned, they're certainly, they've been involved in some very poignant kind of critiques about AI in general. But, but I guess that's somewhat in contrast to a lot of artists who've just basically downloaded you know tensorflow or or you know some some stuff made by robbie barrett for example and fed a whole lot of images into it and then pumped some images out of it and called it art do you think you know that's that's kind of doing a little bit of a disservice to both the technical advances that have been made there but also you know even you know promoting it as art to me at least seems to be uh, i don't know just it's it seems to be kind of strange to be thinking of it as art i think of it more as just somebody downloading software scathing opinion. Yeah, scathing opinion yeah, we, <laughs> yeah feel free to disagree if you, if, you, if you don't like well I think art is a very broad and sometimes loosely defined term right and yeah it depends whether you're looking at art that is for the art market for the museums or for media art festivals or art that is kind of made for personal enjoyment or as a hobby so I'm thinking that now that uh, a lot of the world is uh, locked up in the quarantine a lot of mm. people be kind of making art just to I don't know just to pass the time or to explore the creativity or to do something to for them in this uh, in, in this difficult time and a lot of this art won't it doesn't need to be to the high standards uh, expected by expected from professional artists or from museums but if it still adds value um, to somebody, in terms of a hobby or in terms of something like that, then I think that is uh, still important. But yes, on the other hand, I do understand it when uh, there are projects that are not as technically or artistically developed that reach the mainstream market and are then kind of covered by major art journals or sometimes even put up for auction. That is uh, very kind of frustrating for the art community. But I think as we've seen with the case of the obvious, that got a lot of uh, attention, I think partly because of, uh, yeah, of, of the controversial nature of the sale that work like fetch so much money and this, this whole kind of uh, history of, uh, of the code being uh, by Robbie Barrett and so on. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of the following on journalism then started writing about a lot of the other artists working in the field and it really helped to create a lot of interest. So I think even if you do have more projects like that, which are not as technically advanced, getting into the public eye, 
I'm hoping that uh, eventually a lot of the writers, curators and researchers will start becoming more educated about the field, just because now there's so much more information available on it and we'll be able to tailor the shows or the pieces that they're writing to incorporate art with kind of more artistically and technically developed. The whole idea of people just kind of you know using the software for fun is what our colleague Simon Colton would call <laughs> casual creators is a big, big thing he's interested in. This whole idea of kind of democratising the process so that anybody can become a casual creator and just make art for fun rather than trying to become the next, you know, big big thing in, in the art world or, or lead an art movement or anything like that, which I think is actually a really interesting and, and fruitful approach because people can benefit from just using AI at a personal level. I mean, do you, do you think that's probably more relevant to the way that AI is being used at the moment? Yeah, a lot of artists use AI differently, right? And I think there are some who have built their entire practice on uh, experimenting with the, the latest AI technologies. There are others who have gravitated to the field just because it's trendy. And in terms of casual creators, I guess you probably find them on Twitter, on Instagram. Casual creators thing is really just people doing it for pure enjoyment. So being able to download an app or download some software, make something Mm -hmm. that they find personally rewarding and kind of interesting without the necessity to be um, exhibiting it in a gallery or trying to sell it at the art market or anything like that. Certainly there's, uh, I remember there was the app called Prisma that, you know, made style style transfer very quick and accessible to a lot of people. And that was fun for a season, but now I don't think anybody ever uses Prisma. On Twitter, occasionally I see kind of tweets from uh, people who are not from the AI art world and who kind of play with runway or related software and use that to generate, I don't know, new videos or fashion images. You do have some companies who are um, maybe trying to look at uh, this AI art field from a more commercial perspective. And of course, they might be targeting more this market of casual creators. But sometimes I wonder if it maybe has more resonance in, uh, in the music community because they seem to have always kind of had this very, very close link with technology. And uh, I see all these kind of tools developed by Magenta and by various startups across the world that, yeah, that, that maybe seem to kind of be more fun for the casual creator. Maybe I'm just somebody who does not experiment with the visual software for fun that much. So mm, neither. Me neither. I don't really get it. I don't get it. I no, don't know. No, I don't think I don't think any of us get it. But um. <laughs> well, I guess this is kind of I actually am interested in this quite a bit because when everything was happening last year with the obvious thing and I don't know, just I think it was also the time that I was kind of entering or becoming aware of this whole field. It's all you know, super interesting, but everything just kind of seemed to like quickly be over. And so I'm just thinking because you probably have like a much wider, broader knowledge of this field than I do. Where do you kind of see it going in the future? Because I really, I can't even, like would, like in terms of AI and art, because I feel like GANs, for example, I don't really see that continuing on. But so what would you, I mean, even like, tw- I mean, 2020, we're already like partway through it, but just in the next couple of years, like where Not do you think? Not far enough through it, yeah. Yeah, I'm done, done with 2020. Just, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's too late in 2020. But yeah, maybe 2021. Where do you see it going? 
Yeah, no, that's a very kind of important point. And um, yeah, I, I do sometimes think about it. And I agree with you on the GAN front. I think, as I kind of said earlier, nowadays, the technology is almost too realistic and too computationally expensive to be of interest to a lot of the initial artists who kind of came into the field. Yeah, I think it really depends on what tools the yeah the computer science community kind of uh, comes out with and uh, how they are able to advance the technologies. So I think uh, last year we had GPT-2, which was quite a big advancement in terms of text generation. So yeah, it seems to me that uh, maybe there'll be more experimentation. Yeah, there has been more experimentation maybe on that side. And yeah, um, yeah now it seems a lot of artists are thinking much more about the artistic value and the narrative around their art because I think a few years back um, if you were the first person to you know to apply AI to write a sonnet then you would get a lot of uh, mainstream press writing about it because it was so exciting yeah but now a lot of the low-hanging fruit has been picked and uh, so if you write this AI sonnet it needs to be like a very good one Or to have some sort of uh, meaning and artistic value that doesn't depend on the work having been made with AI. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so since I've been running this um, kind of NERIPS creativity workshop, I've also had a track of submitting art to it. And a lot of this art has been coming from the computer science community, but... There are also kind of emerging artists to submit to it. I've, I've noticed that there are more artists who are trying to move beyond the static or the moving image and uh, try to do something that is related to sculpture. So mm. in, we have uh, uh, Christian Mio Leclerc or like Walt Binet who are using gas to generate sculpture. And I think some of that work is very beautiful and uh, it's it's a good direction to be going in because at the moment there are still not too many artists who are using kind of gowns for sculpture. And if they are, they are still making work that is very kind of distinguishable from each other. Mm. And, uh, and, and like what's happening in, in, in visual art, where if you use an off-the-shelf GAN and an off-the-shelf data set, it's very difficult to differentiate yourself from all the others unless you have superior technical skills and are able to combine lots of different techniques and yeah, make work that kind of has your own aesthetic. Now, a lot of this field is just paying much more attention to of making art that can uh, stand the test of time and will be interesting because of its artistic value as opposed to that has just been using AI. Well, that's great. I'm looking forward to that, definitely. Maybe just on that, how do you think people will view the current movement in creative AI in maybe 10 years' time? Do you think they'll look back and say it was just technologically crude? Do you think there's some lasting artistic value that's emerging from this? Yeah, what has initially attracted me to the field has been the technology and its ability to create beautiful new aesthetic. I feel a lot of the art that I look at, I still judge through this prism of uh, like how good is the technology application and how beautiful is the aesthetic. Yeah, that's probably different from a lot of the other curators who might try and think much more about the concept. But over the past couple of years, I felt that a lot of the initial museum shows, and they were almost excluding the works that were technically excellent and uh, conceptually poor. 
And I was always feeling bad about it because I think the work done by Alex Martvinsov in terms of kind of deep dream is, is incredible. That to me is, well, he is an artist to me from, from my point of view, because the, the deep dream technology he developed is really special for a, for a variety of reasons. I really like the work of Mario Klingemann, as I think many people in this field, because he really does know how to uh, apply the technology to maintain an aesthetic that is still different from many others. I think in terms of artists working on uh, more interesting concepts, I quite like the work of Shung Sung Bak, Kim Yang Hong. They have this project called Non-Facial Portraits. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I haven't heard of it. No, Sounds I haven't really. seen it. You haven't it heard of it? Aha. Uh-huh. No, it's a well, big gap in our knowledge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we are the Creative AI podcast, but we <laughs> don't follow we, enough, heard do of it we? Now. We're, now, we're very familiar with it now that you've told us about it. Yeah. <laughs> Non-Facial it Portraits, yes. Yeah, so I can okay. say a few words about it. Yeah. But yeah. The field is very broad and fast developing, so it's natural not to be aware of everything. But um, in terms of non-facial portraits, what I really like about it is that these two Korean um, artists, they got together some, or or they asked um, portrait painters to start painting a a portrait of, of a person together with a facial recognition system. And as soon as the facial recognition system detected a face, they had to do something that is kind of different to make sure that the final portrait uh, was not deemed to contain a face by the by the system. Mm. And to me, uh, this is uh, this is a really cool project because it's not using a GAN, for example, like so many other works. It's kind of using a facial recognition, but in that fine art context, mm. which is still quite, I think, underused because most artistic applications of facial recognition are around, yeah, maybe around critiquing surveillance or uh, something like that. And there are just not too many projects that maybe look at it in terms of, you know, uh, yeah, drawing human portraits. So that's why I think non-facial portraits is, uh, is a really cool project that is different from a lot of the other work that is currently being done in the field. Oh, yeah, this is great. I actually didn't know about this artist at all. This is the kind of AI art that I feel like I, I'm interested in, but I feel like maybe a lot of the stuff that I do see on Twitter. I don't know, maybe I'm just not following the right things, but it's just kind of, it's kind of all this, quite the same. This is definitely the kind of stuff that like, I get excited about. And we're talking about like, you run the Europe's AI art. Is that just an online exhibition as well as like at the actual conference, right? Yeah. So with the Europe's creativity workshop, it's, I guess, mainly a one day workshop that is attended by two or 300 people, something like that. And there is the track to submit a paper or to submit art. And in terms of the art submissions, normally we display them on two screens and during the conference and then on the AI Art Online website where it's sort of like loosely grouped. I think you'll find a variety of different projects there. So the website is something I do on my own. Yeah, I like to try to display as much art as uh, is possible because I do think it's important to engage kind of as many people as possible to uh, start working with with these tools. I felt yeah that the technical community has been a little bit underrepresented. 
and a lot of the kind of mainstream AI art shows. My AI art online is an important kind of venue to enable that type of work to be shown. Yeah, cool. Do you think it's time for there to be some kind of like, maybe not a conference, but some kind of actual just creative AI festival or yearly reoccurring event? Well, I think AI art has been very popular and there has been so many exhibitions and a lot of these exhibitions at museums or as festivals, they've held some sort of conferences and they've also treated AI art quite broadly, sometimes looking at the entire creative AI spectrum sort of incorporating design, music, and related areas in that. But yeah, in terms of conferences, it feels that on the kind of AI machine learning side, yeah, you do have the workshop that I organize that kind of caters to the very kind of technical audience. Then of course you have the ICCC conference, right? Yeah. Yeah. That caters to a lot of those who are really interested in kind of the philosophical questions. Yeah, maybe there isn't one that kind of attracts the whole spectrum uh, just yet. That could be useful. I guess it's also how it becomes more accessible to the general public and the, I mean, maybe the creative community as well, because obviously there's exhibitions at museums and things, but often the way that they're presented is they're fairly didactic, but at a, a very high level. And if you're actually interested in this area, it really does pay to understand a lot more about the algorithms themselves, because then you can make a more educated judgment about the artistic qualities of, of the work. And I guess it's very difficult for for anyone who's not a machine learning researcher to get to NeuroIPS, for example, because it sells out in like 15 minutes or something like that. Do you think there's a role, kind of educative role, that's not currently being filled by the museum exhibitions and the technical conferences? Yeah, that's, that's a valid point. I guess if you look at the types of curators you might find in museums, even those who kind of engage in art and technology or media art, not all of them would have a very deep understanding of how the technology works. It is important indeed when you are selecting the work um, to display at, yeah, at, at any sort of exhibition. Yeah, and I feel the internet has so many resources that can enable you to gain an understanding of uh, how these tools work. So I think Runway is a, good, is a good tool if you want to kind of start experimenting with the technology. If you want to learn more about how the algorithms work, then I think there are various courses, maybe like fast AI or those that can teach you kind of the basic machine learning skills. It's really kind of up to the curators or up to the individuals to start kind of going through some of these resources. There needs to be a way to encourage them to do that. And I think in terms of the conferences or events that we've had here in Europe, sometimes you do have computer science researchers give a talk about kind of their work or about the basics of machine learning to, to the audience. Yeah, I suppose, yeah, that is useful to an extent. But I think if you really want to gain an understanding, it's important to start learning or experimenting with the technology and actually for that, there are some good demos in the browser, right, that you can kind of play around with. Uh, Google has various AI experiments that you can play with. Then I think a lot of the music and AI projects, they often have kind of demos that you can play with online. Yes, it's a question more of all these museum professionals deciding that, yeah, this is something that they want to learn more about because 
that the tools are out there. Of course, we, we're recording this in, in March in 2020. Uh, most of the world is locked down because of COVID-19. I want you to put on your speculation hat now and say how you think this is going to affect the work that you do. I mean, we've seen basically every international conference cancelled for this year. Uh, everyone's staying at home. Do you think this is going to be a good time for people to actually hunker down and get creative and we might see something really interesting come out of this? Is it going to put everything back for a few years? We won't hold you in a few years' time to the answer that you give now, but where do you feel things are heading? Yeah, it would be good to know. <laughs> yeah, that's why we're asking you. Yeah, so I guess in terms of the work that I do, the work I enjoy the most is actually giving talks mm. and uh, oh. kind of going to different conferences and different places in the world. And um, yeah, of course, as you say, all of this has been either cancelled or postponed and I'm not sure when and if it will happen soon, but eventually I'm sure it will. Yeah, a lot of the museums and galleries are also closed. So I think for the audiences, it's also a little bit kind of tricky to see work physically. But thankfully with AI art, a lot of it can be accessed digitally, um, kind of online and, and so on. I guess in terms of my uh, curatorial work, I'm still working in a few exhibitions that hopefully will take place later this year, or if not, I guess, early next year, or online in some form. So that part of my work is still going on, though, of course, not every institution is um, always able to adapt very quickly to, yeah, to the current kind of closures and issues presented by the coronavirus. And um, in terms of artistic practice, yeah, perhaps there will be quite a positive impact. And uh, that's because a lot of artists now don't have to travel to these conferences so they can actually be at home. And in many places under lockdown, they're not even allowed to leave the home much. So there's kind of all these restrictions that can enable people to almost kind of be more creative in a way and uh, to kind of make art that they've always been uh, postponing and putting off. So yeah, hopefully there will be kind of more projects out there. And uh, also because everybody else is also stuck at home, I think there will be more audiences that, that, that can be reached by those artworks because so many more people are on Twitter or Instagram being receptive and actively looking for content that they can look at in their day-to-day -day life. I personally am excited for all the free time. <laughs> Excited for the free time. It is great. The, the free time. I mean, I shouldn't say free time, but there is something like, obviously conferences would have been great this year, but, you know, it's like kind of bittersweet to just have like months just cleared. Yeah. I mean, obviously I'm terrified and like it's awful and have a lot of anxiety, but at the same time it's just mixed with just, I don't know, it's exciting to see everybody being creative about the way they like communicating now and just like everything is completely like flipped on its I don't know she's like such a disruptive change and I think I don't know I almost feel more connected in a way to people than I did before which is weird and I just that kind of somewhat related to like the art creation and, and maybe even more loosely to like AI art I'm not sure how it relates so much to that but I think for me you know has having some kind of art practice I'm excited for that this weird like isolation which I have to like, I just have to like, you know, focus on what I'm doing and really like have all this time to reflect on it. So I'm just trying to be positive, I guess. I think that's really the way to go, right? We can't do mm. much of this in a quarantine or lockdown, but we can figure out how to, how to use the time wisely. Yeah. I mean, part of it is also that it does 
make people think about what it is that you know kind of brings them together what's a, i mean everyone is affected by this and i think there has been overall a much greater recognition about the dependence of humanity and nature and the way that you know we've we've kind of abused that privilege for so long and now we're starting to understand the consequences of doing that i think in terms of the direction for ai maybe it will make people think more about building those human connections and thinking about the way that ai can support human creativity and human ingenuity but in a way that's not just purely about abuse of nature or the the wanton use of resources without thinking about the consequences of them we always used to end on really heavy negative stuff but this is going to a new level this is crazy like last year we had no idea we were just like ah surveillance and like facebook and stuff like we were just like that but this is like a whole new level of well the whole new scary. level calls for a whole new level of <laughs> negative ending doesn't it no. negative ending positive yeah. ending well no but i think we, we have found a positive in the negative we have yeah yeah which yeah. is good indeed yeah luba thank you so much for giving the time to us today it's been really interesting to chat with you and we're really looking forward to the next neuro whips and the um creative ai workshop whenever that might be do you know is it is it going to go ahead next year yeah good question i think yeah i would like to see it carry on in some form and yeah the next edition would of the neurips conference would be in december this year so it just really depends on the state of the world then yeah i think but um, a lot of these machine learning conferences are now being held online. So maybe even if we can't do a physical workshop, we'll do an online version. I don't know. We'll see. Thank you so much for, for joining us. Thank you yeah, so no, much. Thank you so much for the invitation. 